You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Joe Prunty. Joe is an American professional basketball coach with 22 years' experience in the NBA. Joe was a high school coach who joined the San Antonio Spurs as an assistant video coordinator in 1996, progressing quickly to be an assistant coach under the legendary head coach Greg Popovich in 2000. In his time with the Spurs, they won three NBA championships. Joe has also coached with Cleveland, Portland, Dallas, Milwaukee and Phoenix, as well as spending four years as the head coach of the Great Britain men's team. Joe is, in the words of one of his players, a a pick-a-guy-up type of guy. He's calm and measured and very much focused on the type of team chemistry that is needed to win championships. He believes that team chemistry can dissolve quickly and it's something you have to work on every day. And he shares a story from a San Antonio and Miami series to illustrate how chemistry is visible on the court. Joe has worked alongside some of the great coaches of the NBA, and he talks about his time working with Greg Popovich and how he fostered a team environment where people can present their ideas 
and not feel ridiculed because these new ideas are important if you are to innovate and improve as a team. And one of the parts that resonated most with me was when he talks about having an appropriate level of fear for your opposition so that you enter the game respecting them and not becoming complacent. This was a super conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as Paul and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. So Joe Prunty, good afternoon or rather good morning to you over there in America and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Well, Joe, not as excited as we are to talk a little basketball with you because you've got some amazing experience. But before we jump into that, can I ask you a really tough question? Where are you in the world and what have you been up to so far today? Well, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. And as you mentioned, Paul, it's still pretty early for us. But just for today, literally for today, I have taken the kids to school and gotten myself up, done a few few other things around the house and gotten myself prepared to, to speak with you for a little bit. But in general, I have just returned from coaching with the United States basketball in a window in Indianapolis at a very successful trip. We went 2-0 and and uh, really enjoyed it. It was a great opportunity. That sounds fantastic. We can hopefully get into that and, the, and what it's like in the locker room with all those legends uh, later on in the discussion. But I'd like to start actually by not so much a history lesson, but by just winding the clock back. Because when I was researching for today, I realized you've had access to a who's who of coaching in basketball. There's Greg Popovich. Avery Johnson, and when you were with them, both won Coach of the Year. There's Byron Scott, there's Nate McMillan, and there's a ton of others as well. So I figured you were in a pretty good place to tell us what the difference is between great coaches and the not-so-great coaches. It's a good question. I, I don't know. I've been really blessed to have worked with great coaches. So it's, it's hard to say what everybody does But I know all of those people that you just mentioned, along with a lot of the assistants that I worked with, you know, Jason Kidd and Igor Kokoskov as well here most recently, have all been uh, amazing in several different ways. But And they all have their own unique styles. But what I would say is some of the things that great coaches do is they have uh, amazing relationships not only with the players themselves, but with all the people within an organization. That doesn't mean that everything is a bed of roses every day. It doesn't mean that everything goes smoothly. There are debates, there are questions, there are tough tasks that have to be handled, but the relationships themselves are always solid. They're built on a great foundation. And it's just something that I've seen with all the coaches and it's something that I strive to do myself. I think they have attention to details. Again, it's another thing that I try to aspire to myself in regards to whether it's little things on the court or little things off the court, because as we all know, those little things eventually are the big things or they become the big things. I think they're flexible. The coaches that I've been with have always been flexible. One of the things that people mentioned through the years about with pop was Uh, how he changed more from a defensive to an offensive style. And I don't know if that's true from what I saw, because he was always a great coach on both sides of the ball. And I think that's really important is in basketball, you do have to, to coach both sides and they're intertwined. It's not like you send one team out for defense and then another team out for offense. It's, it's all interconnected. 
So just having that flexibility is in knowledge to coach both things. And all those coaches that you mentioned might be perceived to be one way, but they really can coach both sides and do it well. And they're just flexible with their system as to what they're emphasizing at a particular point in time. And then I think they just have accountability. It's as simple as that is. And again, most people will think when they hear the term accountability, it's that's with the players, but it really isn't just with the players. It's with all people is, are you prepared? Do you bring something to the table? Do you bring something that makes us think that makes us be better than we were the day before? Does it make us get better for winning a game or get better for executing a practice or maybe even a moment in practice, maybe one play, maybe one scheme defensively, but there's an accountability to be prepared and to be part of something bigger than you are with the team. Joe, you've been a coach with six different NBA teams. Now, if my maths is correct, that's like 30% of the whole league. When you roll up at a new team, what do you do first? Well, there's a few things, but I'll, I guess I'll break it into two categories. There's the professional side of it. I try to listen and learn as much as I can from all the people that are available to me early on. And most of the time when you're arriving, it's, well, it depends on when you arrive to a new team, but uh, meaning the time of year, if it's the middle of the summer or early summer, sometimes you're just getting acclimated with the coaching staff and some of the other people in the front office, but really just try and listen and learn to what the philosophies are, what people are working towards what are the goals what are we going to build but just trying to improve myself on sort of what the overall system is not the coaching system but what the philosophy of the entire organization is and just i don't want to say not interject myself into it but just listen to what people are saying so i can figure out where are we going you know study film study watching previous games but really getting into the nuts and bolts of what some of the players, their tendencies are, how they played, what they did, looking at numbers, the analytical side of it, but just trying to figure out, you know, it's kind of goes into that listening to what people are talking about and where we're going and philosophically what we're trying to do, but it's also now trying to dive into the visual part of it or the analytical part of it and study and get to know things. And so it's really sort of a get to know process for me professionally in terms of most people that I've gone to work with, I've had some idea of who they are, but until you work with someone, you don't really know what they're about. Then I also, from a professional standpoint, just want to establish a level of consistency with myself, like how I am and what I do. And every morning, always come in with the mindset of working hard. And I get it. Some people have tough days, so it's, it's not as easy, but still saying good morning every day kind of get ready for the grind and being what I would deem, like I said, this is the professional side of it, but being professional. I think from a personal standpoint, that's the other side that's really important when you get to a team is trying to get yourself established in the new area that you're you're living in now. So I ask a lot of questions early on, just try, similar to what I would do professionally, but now it's a matter of where are things, where are schools, where our churches, where our doctors, stores, you know, hey, who do you go to? Who do you see? And just kind of getting a lay of the land because I want to get those things established so they're not an issue when we're in the meat of the season or when, because things just happen, right? Life happens around you. And so if you can get your personal 
situation settled as best possible. It makes the professional part that much easier. Joe, I found this great quote from you, and I'd like to read it to you if I could before I ask the question. Chemistry counts. There's no question about it. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's best friends and they do everything together, but it helps in their ability to coach one another. That's part of chemistry. And I was really intrigued by the last part of that quote because I wanted to ask you, how do you set up a team culture where people are honest enough with each other in order to help coach one another? Sure. I think one of the things is you have to create that and you have to help facilitate and create that environment. You know, there's a book called The Culture Code and they talk about creating a safe environment. And essentially the idea is that you feel comfortable to present your ideas no matter what they are. And you won't feel that you're ridiculed. Now, I think in this business, you have to have thick skin, but I think you have to be creative. You have to try and figure out what is the best thing to do. And so sometimes that takes a really, I don't want to say broad outside the box, but you've got to think outside the box a little bit. And so coming up with a unique idea, you don't want to feel like you can't do it because no matter who you are, I think with teams, you're always trying to establish the roles and the goals. You're trying to figure out what people's responsibilities are, but you don't want to pigeonhole people into those areas because you want people to be able to, like I said, think outside the box, be creative, push the envelope. Let's see what ideas work best because maybe something that you tried with another team or somewhere at a different point in time it didn't work out that well, but maybe it's, you tried it at that point to lead you to this time to use it. It was meant to be used at this time, even though the first time it didn't work out. So having a role, but don't feel like that's what I have. I can only do these things. That's it. Establishing the goals. Where's the team going? What are we trying to accomplish? What's our purpose? And if you can establish those things, it gives people a focus for where they're trying to get to. I think you have to have constructive interaction. I know for myself, I'm always looking for constructive criticism or constructive feedback, things that'll help me get better. I'm always trying to improve. I think that's something that in life you should be trying to do is, are you getting better every day? And I think chemistry is an everyday thing. It's something that people tend to just throw out there and feel as if it's, oh yeah, we've got great chemistry. Okay, well, chemistry can be torn apart and dissolve as quickly or quicker than it is built. So it's not something that it just, oh yeah, we just have it and now we've arrived at it. It's something that you do every day is you work on being a team. And I guess what I'll leave you with in terms of the chemistry is in watching teams that have it. A few years back, I was watching a series, the series between San, one of the series between San Antonio and Miami. And it's not that I hadn't seen it before, but it was amazing how much I saw of it. The teams essentially were coaching themselves in that when there was a dead ball, not a timeout, not when they were over with the coaches, you could see LeBron with his arm around Mario Chalmers or Chris Bosh talking to one player, Dwayne Wade talking to another player. You could see Tim Duncan uh, talking to Kawhi Leonard or Tony Parker and Patty Mills or the group huddling up together. And what the coaches had done was they had created an environment where not only the chemistry was pretty spectacular, uh, as evidenced by the fact that they were playing in the NBA finals, but they had taught the players the system well enough to where they could do it with each other. 
They didn't have to wait for the timeout for the coach to address it. And some of that comes from talent. Some of that comes from tenure together. There's a, a numerous factors that get into that, but that is where chemistry continually is evolving. Joe, could I ask you a follow-up question on, on chemistry? Because you said you've just come back from helping with Team USA. How do you build chemistry quickly when you've got a representative group like that that are coming together for a short period of time? There could be some lingering tensions. I'm not sure. What's the tip on managing that condensed period of intensity and bringing chemistry out? Yeah, that is something that is hard to do at times in terms of a short window. Uh, I also spent some time with Great Britain and we went through the same thing. Now, we didn't have the windows there at that time. We were still in a summer environment where you were preparing for Eurobasket. So there was a little bit more time. But in this particular situation, I think the guys not only came in understanding what they wanted to accomplish or what our goals were, but that gets back to like that goals, roles and goals, right? You come in, you know what you do. The whole time frame was over a week, but really it was about a week's time frame of practices and games. And what was really important was now the guys did a lot of these guys knew each other from having competed in the G league with one another at different times, but they knew what our goal was. We established that. We talked to them about it, let them know what they were a part of. They were a part of something bigger than themselves, that this window was a part of three windows that were going to help us potentially get qualified, which we did. Uh, and that was a big goal for Team USA to do. And so establishing sort of what we were trying to accomplish was really, really important and getting the guys to understand how we needed to go about it. Um, there's also, uh, you know, in terms of chemistry, building a healthy respect, not only for ourselves and our, our team, but also who we're going to be playing against and how good they are and, you know, what they had accomplished and what their goals were, what they were trying to do, not only, you know, not just obviously qualify for the event. This was for the America in 2022. It wasn't just for that. Like these teams are trying to do that as well, but, how good they are, who's, who's coming in, let them know what they're going up against. So these roles, goals, you know, also creating environment where they felt like they could bring forth anything that they had experienced with some of these players. Cause there were players on other teams that these guys knew. So tell us about them. How good are they? What did you see when you played against them in the previous window or uh, in years past? So it really was just a, a small, it's a microcosm, right? Of, what you are trying to do over the course of a season, you just have to do it in a shorter amount of time. Joe, you were a high school coach when you took the job with the Spurs as an assistant video coordinator. And of course, that job leads you to becoming the assistant coach in 2000. And of course, from there, the Spurs go on this amazing streak. Championships in 99, 2003, 2005. When you reflect on those years and the role that you played and the learning that you had, what did you take out of that period of time into your coaching philosophy that we could see today? Yeah. You know, I think the, the neat thing for me was getting there and realizing that it was still basketball. Obviously it was elite level basketball. You have uh, the best players in the world. You have a team with MVP type caliber players, like MVP players, like David Robinson, ultimately Tim Duncan comes in and becomes an MVP you know, guys like Sean Elliott. I mean, I can go up and down the list, right? But one of the things that I learned right away is that everybody can contribute. 
everybody's a part of this process. And what I mean by that is Pop was very uh, forthcoming with letting you know, be prepared, have a thought, have an idea, present it, and then be prepared to defend it if people say, well, no, we shouldn't do that. Or why do you think we should do that? And it was more of a, you, you had to be prepared. You had to be thoughtful. You had to be thought provoking. You almost, in some ways, the thought provoking ideas were almost, I don't want to say presenting a disagreement, but just being prepared that if you do disagree, you'll find a way to come to common ground. I think that was huge for my development was that there, it wasn't like, okay, we have to do it this way and that's it. And that's the only way that it works. There are different ways. There is an answer. Let's go find it. Let's find the answer and figure out what's best because yes, we have a lot of talent here, but so does everyone else. So how can we make sure that all of us are contributing to that? How are we all thoughtful with it and being prepared for it? How are we growing even though we disagree and maybe the disagreement is what's helping us grow? It's like people think of rain, right? Gloomy days and you have rain and it's, that's bad. And that, well, rain is what helps things grow sometimes too, right? So it's, it's a little bit of both to use that analogy. And, you know, believe in what we were doing. That was a big thing, but we also had appropriate fear. That was a term that Pop used a lot in terms of our opponents, but it drove us to respect it's respect for what not only we were doing in games against our opponent, but with what we were trying to accomplish and where we were trying to go. And I think all of those lessons have been invaluable for me in terms of shaping a lot of the basketball thoughts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I have. In 2006... You leave the Spurs, you head over to the Mavericks, and you're under another legend, Avery Johnson. Team finishes with the best record in the league, but also you have your second experience with an MVP, Dirk Nowitzki. And I'm wondering, you've now had Tim Duncan and Dirk. I wonder if there's any, if there's one or two lessons that you've taken from these elite players that have helped you as a coach. Yeah. Well, number one, they're great for a reason. They're great players for a reason. There's something that encompasses a lot of different things. So number one, if you talk about their skills, they, they had a go-to move. They had something that they knew, I'm going to get this shot off and it's not, you're not going to impact it. It's just a matter of whether I miss or make that shot. And you can do what you need to do, but I have a go-to move that is pretty simple. I know I'm going to get that shot off and it's either going in or it's not. And you're going to do the best you can, but I know I can get to it. They had mental toughness an internal drive that let them know they could get beyond 
whatever the task was. It might seem really difficult, but we can get through it and we can accomplish whatever we want to accomplish. So like, for example, we were playing a game in Golden State, or excuse me, in Dallas against Golden State. Game five, we were down, we were down 3-1 in the series and we're down eight with 245, let's say, just for sake of argument. Dirk went on an amazing run, just uh, literally willed us to the win. Even though we eventually lost the series, it was something that just let you know what his, like his focus in terms of being in that moment and knowing what needed to happen. There's not a lot of guys that could just get that done, like to get us back and get us that win and keep our season going and give us the opportunity to play another day and potentially win the series. But there was a mental toughness there, uh, down eight, three minutes to go, 2.45, can't do it. He didn't believe that. He felt he, we have a way. And part of that stems from the work ethic. Anybody that's in this business should be working really hard, I would assume. But the work ethic that those guys had, along with the skills that they had, was unbelievable. They put in the effort. Um, and I saw it with younger players as well. A, a player like Giannis. Giannis is someone that as he came into the league, he was learning those things and you were helping facilitate that and helping grow him in his basketball acumen. And he was thirsty for it. And so similar to Tim and Dirk, but that work ethic, that desire, that drive, these things are things that propel them a little bit further. And then they're just not afraid. They're not afraid of the moment. They're willing to go out at, like I just gave you that example with Dirk. He was okay. This is what has to happen. We need to find a way to win this game. Okay. I can't sit here and panic about anything. I'm going to go out and attack this moment and find a way to get it done. And that was just one example. And there's countless for both players. And then I think the second thing, because that was a lot to encompass the fact that they were great players for a reason. But I think the other thing is that their character as people is as high as their skills. Unbelievable people. Doesn't mean they're the same. It just means they had high character and the, even though they went about things differently and were extremely competitive with everybody, including each other, and they weren't necessarily the same people, but they had a lot of things that just made them characteristically amazing to be around, not only as basketball players, but as human beings. You then head off to Portland as an assistant, but this is where you're given your first chance to be a head coach. In the, in the NBA Summer League in 2008 and 2009. And I'm just really curious, what do you remember about transitioning into the head coach role? And, and if you can remember those feelings of how it contrasted to when you were as, a, as an assistant. Sure. I actually had an opportunity to coach a couple of summer leagues in both San Antonio and Dallas. And I was really fortunate. In fact, one of the first teams that I had in San Antonio was amazing. We, we had gone into Utah Long story short, I coached in four of the games there. I believe it was four. We won all four games, but it was amazing because it really wasn't tricky. Like after watching Tony and Jack and, and watching how they played together, it was like, okay, just get out of the way. Let them do their thing. We have plays. We have our system, but let these guys run their, run their style because they're playing so well together. Just don't interrupt it. They've got chemistry already you know, went to Dallas and got an opportunity to coach an amazing, we went five and zero this year. We talked about how good the team was in Dallas and we had 
at the time, obviously Dirk, Jason Terry, Josh Howard, Jerry Stackhouse. And the point is with the players that we had on the summer league team, we talked about how, look, these guys on that are already on the team are good and they're going to do certain things. Like a lot of those guys are going to score for us. So yes, in this summer league, we need to score points and we need to stop them from scoring points. Right. But what are some of the things that you can do to be on the team if you're not scoring? You know, so obviously here I want to focus on that, but I want you guys to focus on that stuff too. The other things like setting screens, rebounding, making the extra pass, cheering for your teammates, so on and so forth. That team goes undefeated, but it was fun to watch them react to one another on the bench. They cheered for one another. They stood for one another. And so being a part of that was always great because that was something to watch teams be selfless, to watch individuals be selfless. That was huge. When I got to Portland, same concept, still trying to instill all of that. But one of the things that was really different my first year of coaching Portland or coaching, excuse me, the summer league in Portland was we had a goal. We wanted to win. We wanted to be successful, but we also wanted to give a particular players opportunities in positions to do things that they didn't necessarily get to do during the regular season. So it was really about, it's always about growing. It was always about player development, but this in particular was, hey, let's focus on this. So even though we might have another player who can play that position, or we have another guy who can do this or that or whatever, let's focus on these things. And so it was still a great experience, but it was really focused on, hey, these guys need, they have to have the minutes here and we have to get them to develop in this particular area. So you had this great experience as a head coach through the summer, as well as you're being assistant in the NBA team. And then in 2013, you get the job as the national coach for Great Britain. And for four years, you have to work really hard. There's not a lot of funding and it must've been challenging, but I can understand why you enjoyed it so much because it's such a different experience from what you were having in the NBA. And in fact, you say it helped me tremendously as a coach. And so I'd like to ask you, what did you learn from that experience that you've taken forward into the way you coach today? Yeah, I I loved it. So I did it from 2013 to 2017 and which was actually five summers coached in two Euro baskets. I think that some of the biggest stuff that I grew with was the administrative part. I definitely grew coaching wise, but the funding issues were at the core of what was going on with the program. Uh, Basically from the time I took over, I think one of the things that happened was the London Olympics took place and people treated it almost as if that it was a destination. And what I reminded not only the players, but the people in on the board and with Great Britain is that it's a journey. This isn't like we, we get to the Olympics in 2012 and now we're done. Now we're moving on to the next cycle and trying to qualify for the next Olympics and understanding that it's a journey and understanding that we're not looking for funding year over year. We're trying to build something that's sustainable. And I think that's where, for me, I worked with several different chairmen of the board or different people that were in charge and different national teams, directors. So for five summers, I think there were three different national team directors. One year we operated without one. Uh, The funding was a question, still is to this day. And learning the right things to ask. And what I mean by that is, this is, you'll, you'll understand this. So we are, this is a good little story for me. We are, 
I'm uh, at the time in Cleveland and trying to get organized for the first summer. So my question to the people that are running the travel for me is, how long is the flight from Greece to Poland? And I'm told, oh, it's three hours, three hour flight. I said, okay, great. That's perfect. That'll be three hours, not a long day. Uh, we'll finish our second game in Greece. We'll leave the next morning, get in. Uh, and then we should be able to get our two games in in Poland without too much issue once we arrive after a day of practice. Well, as I get over there and I start really diving into the itinerary, it was arrive at the airport in Crete two hours before the flight takes off. Okay. So our flight was to leave at 10, land in Athens at 11, uh, leave Athens at 1230, fly for two and a half hours. I can't remember if there was a time change, but leave at 1230. So arrive actually about 3, 315-ish, somewhere in that time frame. Have to wait for bags, have to clear, you know, get through all the stuff. And you can see where I'm going with this as I'm continuing <laughs> yeah. to draw it out is okay. that is now we are literally trying to leave the airport at about 4.30 in Warsaw and we're not playing in Warsaw. We're playing in Lublin, which is a two hour drive. So then the two hour drive, uh, I didn't realize this, but have you ever heard of the term taco? When a bus in Europe is being driven for too long, it's literally, and maybe this was just in Poland, but it's a law that the bus driver has to stop the bus. They cannot continue to drive the bus. They have to. So you've heard of that term. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are now trying to drive through Poland in rush hour, in a rainstorm, and we have to take a break apparently because the bus was running before we arrived. So essentially what happened is we left at eight in the morning or, or we planned our journey. Journey had started eight in at eight in the morning and we really didn't arrive until maybe eight at night in Lublin. And so what I was told, because the question was how long of a flight is it from Greece to Poland? Oh, it's three hours. What I learned was that's not the right question. The right question is how long is the journey to get from where we are going as point A in Crete to point B in Lublin, Poland? Things like that. I didn't know I would have to ask that specific, that detailed of a question because that's a massive difference for everybody that was involved in the travel. And the person who was telling me this at the time wasn't involved in the travel, so they didn't understand what it was like to be on the ground, so to speak. So uh, learning those things, learning scheduling, learning travel, asking the right questions, and then uh, I think some of the other stuff was just adjusting each day because you were thrown a curveball a lot. It wasn't as like in the NBA, you, you go to your practice facility or gym, whatever you practice, you have your slot, your time. It's simple. You go in, you come out here. Uh, you had to be flexible, uh, especially even in England. There were times where I don't know if you've seen some of the courts in Great Britain, they are, there are more lines. It's like an eye chart. You've got lines for handball, volleyball, basketball. I mean, it's, it's incredible how many lines there are. Uh, there were times where we'd be practicing. We could not get in to take, let's say, the poles down that were on the court until right at two o'clock. So practice didn't start right at two. It was still trying the administrative things. Then at four o'clock, those people that didn't help you take them up were now coming in and putting them in while you were still trying to finish up your practice. So 
there were just little things that you had. So you had to be right, very, very punctual. You had to get guys, you know, really focused on, hey, right when we get in, we need to be ready to go. And when this is over, it's over. It's not like we can stay in there. So there were just a lot of administrative things that it really helped me focus on those things so that the basketball part was easier, not only for me, but for everybody else that was involved. And then again, it just made me appreciate what I went through with USA basketball. And that doesn't mean anything was bad with Great Britain as much as it was just, there were a lot of different people, like I said, different national teams directors. Uh, They were great. They just was someone new uh, every two years or so. The chairman of the boards, they were all wonderful people, but there was just somebody new, good friends, good people, but I wish there was more continuity. And like I said, with USA basketball, it was amazing just to go in and boom, 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 buy the book. And we, especially during the pandemic, handled things very well. Joe, being fired is part of the life of any elite coach. Many of them I've interviewed have said, you're only ever four or five games away at most before being fired. I imagine when it happens, it must affect your confidence a little bit. And I'm wondering how you've learned to deal with any lingering self-doubt that comes from being fired. I think one of the biggest things, regardless of how you leave a team, is can you look yourself in the mirror and say you did the best that you could while you were there? And did you do the best that you could with the things that you were presented at that time? So I think that's a huge part of it is looking yourself in the mirror and knowing that you did what you could. Uh, Number two, where were they or where was that organization before you arrived there? Where things go after I arrived, I look at where, where we were and where they went. And I've always felt that each situation, I've left it better than where I arrived. You know, maybe there's been one that I would say was a little bit incomplete, so to speak. I think you always have to continue to grow. You have to continue to learn. And sometimes you now know what you didn't know. Like that was, again, talking about different national teams directors, uh, a good friend of mine, Warwick Khan, Australian as well. He uh, amazing, taught me a ton, loved working with him, was bummed when he stepped down from his position. Cause again, that's, that's sort of when that was one of the things he always talked about is you don't, they don't know what they don't know. And now we know what we did not know. And that's a big thing in learning, right? Is growing, getting better. And then I think you also have to be in, introspective with all of it is how can I improve? I think sometimes even in society right now, it's uh, we want to blame others as opposed to accept responsibility or accept, okay, this is where we are. How do we go from here? So even looking at it from the other perspective, like if you win the championship, it's not like the next year you go in there and say, okay, we've, we've won it and now we're done. You're trying to win the next one. You're trying to do it again. And that's, that's what matters is how do you continue to build yourself as a person build yourself as a team or build your team. I think those are the things that in all of this, when you take a step back and maybe even if you are questioning yourself, okay, am I doing the right things? And if I'm not, how do I adjust that? You know, it's, it's kind of the old saying of where you've been, where you are and where are you going? And that's where you, if you look at it and you have some of that self-doubt, you just have to look yourself in the mirror and you have to think about, okay, where have I been? Where am I? Where am I going? How can I get there? That's a great answer, Joe. Thank you for thank you for sharing it. In twenty plus seasons, if I've got my numbers correctly, three NBA championships, but sixteen times involved in the postseason. And I'm yeah. I'm wondering, 
if at all, does the style of coaching change in the postseason? If so, how does it change? Uh, yeah, no, it, it does. I mean, you still have your system. You're building over 82 games, which you're trying to do. So that part of it is still the same. But where it changes is you are now playing one team a minimum of four times. And so it isn't so much exactly what you've done for 82 games as much as it was how did things go against that opponent? How have they gone with certain matchups? So by the end of the series, like once you get to seven games, you almost know your opponent as well as you know yourself. You've watched every game, dissected every play. The players have done it. They know the tendencies. They know the things that guys want to do. They know their plays. So it's different in that on a given night, on a back-to-back, let's say, let's say you're playing a team. Well, I talked about this the other day with a friend. There was a team defensively years ago that whenever the ball went into the post, they always double teamed the post and they were very aggressive with it. If you were going in on a back-to-back, it was very difficult to prepare for that uh, because you wouldn't necessarily have a walkthrough. So you really relied on the things that you had practiced leading into this back-to-back uh, leading into spacing where you wanted guys to be when the double team occurred, the plays that you might be running against it, so on and so forth. But it was very difficult relative to when you're going into a playoff series, you have ample time to prepare for how are they going to double team? Where do we want to get on the floor? And you're not only going to see it in that game, you're going to see it over and over again in the remaining games as well. So I think it's that aspect of knowing your opponent isn't just knowing their tendencies uh, offensively and trying to take it away. It's also knowing what they do defensively. Uh, The intensity is higher, but that's where experience helps. And a great example of that is when I went to Portland, I had been in the league for 12 years when I arrived in Portland. So it was my 13th season. We uh, had been blessed at that point to be in the playoffs for 11 of those 12 years. And when we got to the playoffs, the city threw a, we had a rally downtown. It was amazing. Fans came out. We had uh, several practices, a lot of really good practices. But what I realized was until those guys went through that first game, we could keep coaching and preparing and, but they needed to go through that. They needed to go through that first game to be fully prepared for what the magnitude of the playoffs was like, because, um, and I'll give you another example. One year we were playing Phoenix in the conference finals when I was in San Antonio and on the bench, one of the guys mentioned in the first time out, man, they're playing so much faster. They're playing, you know, this is such a faster series. They're playing faster than maybe even in the regular season or, you know, the mindset was, wow, this is different from what I expected. But it was something that we had talked about. We had talked about how quick they're going to play, how, what they're looking for, where the threats are in transition. Like a lot of times teams were running for layups, but now the, uh, Phoenix at that point was running to the three-point line. Even though you had talked about it, it was when you got into it, then you really learned. So that intensity is upped, but the experience that you have really comes to the forefront if you've been through some of this. Uh, I think adjustments are a constant, not saying that they aren't during the regular season, but a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, they need to make adjustments. Okay. Adjustments are happening 
every moment of every game, whether it's substitution patterns, whether it is uh, schemes, whether it is matchups, whether it is a different play that maybe you implemented because uh, we did this one time in Brooklyn. We had a player that was really going well, uh, myself and coach kid, and I shouldn't say just us, but as a staff, we talked about it, but the presentation was, Hey, let's utilize this player as teams have utilized a couple other different players. Like how did Shaq get posted? You know, and how can we get this guy posted off of that same type of movement to get him deeper position or better spacing? And so those adjustments, whether it's in game or from game to game are constant. And then just the matchups, the, your matchup with your opponent, uh, your matchups for your players, those things are, you have a higher level of focus because they are coming at you one game after the next, after the, it's the same people, it's the same players, same coaches. And so the playoffs really, it's so much fun, but it has just that different level of intensity because you're not seeing anything. You're not seeing another team. I wish I wish the audience could see how passionate you are right now. You're so engaged talking about the postseason. It's clearly something that's at the centre of of, uh, of your style and your your desire as a coach. I'd like to just ask two more questions if I could. I know I'm close to my time. The first one's about your philosophy because I was preparing Joe and I got lots of information. You know, Joe's a, crea- a coach that's creative offensively. Joe preaches confidence. Joe's team moves the ball side to side more. He, Joe's teams have great after timeout plays. And that was the mechanics. But what I really wanted to get to was the dynamics. What's at the center of your coaching philosophy? What are the big rocks that, that travel with you everywhere? Yeah, I think there's a few different things that I'll hit you with. Number one, you just want to be in the moment while preparing for the future. I think a lot of people tend to try and get ahead of themselves at times And so just be in the moment while preparing for the future, knowing that a little bit of it is going to be coming every day. If you can do that, I think there's few people that in this industry tend to dwell on the past or worry about the future more than just being in the moment. I think uh, you have to ask yourself one simple question. Uh, Are you better today than you were yesterday? And if you are, then you're moving in the right direction. And that growth might be monumental could be small, an inch or a mile. It, it doesn't matter. Are you better today than you were yesterday? Philosophically, I believe in being collaborative, working together, finding the common goal and working towards it. You're all in it together. I'm, I'm more about sharing credit and accepting responsibility or accepting blame. than you know, some people are more like, look at me, look at me, look at what I've done. That's, that's not how I work. And so philosophically, I think that's how I want my teams to be, right? They, I want them to share the ball. I want them to play the right way. I want them to talk to one another and communicate. I think a couple other things, just be prepared. Be prepared, be detailed, understand the things that might happen and be prepared for them when they do. Doesn't mean you're going to be ready. It doesn't mean you're going to be right every time. Doesn't mean you're going to be ready for it every time. Doesn't mean you won't be surprised. For example, if a team throws a zone at you, have you already prepared for the zone? If a team presses you, have you already prepared for the press? You know, and that gets back a little bit to being in the moment while preparing for the future. And I always tell our guys, it's better to have been in the right spot to do the right thing and have the the event not happen than to go the other way. Meaning, so as as an example, just using a zone, it's better to prepare for a zone and be ready for it and have it not happen 
than to not prepare for it and have the team use the zone. That would be philosophically. And then just knowing the why, why are you doing something and conveying that to the players and having the players understand why you're doing something. Philosophically, I like to ask questions. I think sometimes when I ask the questions, players will tend to think it's a rhetorical question. They'll, they'll think that I'm not looking for an answer when I actually am, because that's one of the beauties of this game is that it happens so quick. And especially at the NBA level, you've got so many smart players, things that they can think of and react to as quickly as they can. It's, it's amazing. And sometimes as fans, I think people take it for granted that it just, oh yeah, that's just what they do. That's why guys don't win an MVP just every year because people just all of a sudden say, oh yeah, of course that guy does that. Well, doesn't mean it's still not absolutely amazing. But again, it's just knowing the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Having an answer, because then that'll help us, like I said, kind of not only prepare for that moment, but prepare for the future as well. Joe, you've been very generous with your time. I'd like to perhaps just ask one last question, and I'd like to preface it with another of uh, another great quote I found from you when I was preparing. And the quote is, a lot of people think that being the head coach, it's X's and O's, but it's so much more than that. It's about the relationships and the passion that you bring. And I've seen some of that passion while you've been talking through this uh, conversation today. But I wanted to ask you, in the distant future, when you do finish as a coach and we interview or talk to some of the people you've, you've worked with along that journey, what's the legacy that you want them to reference that you left behind you as a coach? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't really think about my legacy as far as that I have to do this. I, I heard a coach one time talk about legacy and all he said was, I, I, I. And so I'm not even sure exactly what he said, but I heard I about 1700 times. That bothers me a little bit from the standpoint of the game itself is bigger. Sports is bigger than any individual. Uh, the team is bigger than any individual. So I think for me, just in life and in basketball, I want to leave a positive impact. I want people to know that I care, that I listen to them. I, I listen to what they say. There's a, I think there's a lot of people that don't listen. And this is not a basketball thing, but I think that's one of the problems we get into in society. We don't listen to one another. And so I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs and you're going to scream at the top, top of your lungs. And we're not, we're going to be right back where we started. Uh, I'm not big on wasting time like that. Time is, is pretty precious. I think we both would agree with that, is, especially as we see our kids get older, right? And you realize, wait, they're only going to spend 18 to 22 years of their life in the house with us. I mean, that's not a lot of time. I mean, that's maybe, if we're lucky, 20%, 18 years, maybe 20% of their life. So those things go really quick. And so... Like I said, I just think listening and talking and growing and getting better and helping people like that's basketball is a tool in that regard. It's, it's a way that people can learn and grow and help one another. What's it like to be a part of a team? Why is it important to be on time? All those things. And so sometimes in this business, I think there's a lot of people that get caught up in people wanting to show everybody everything that they, they know and everything that they do. I think there's more of an idea of, just listen to what people say. Sometimes I think that's, that's what's odd for me sometimes is when coaches ask questions, like I said, whether it's to players 
or to the coaches in a meeting. And all of a sudden you, you just sort of get, here's the question and here's the answer. Uh, huh? Wait, he just asked us a question. So have an answer, be prepared and throw that out there. I think so. I, I, like I said, I don't really think about my legacy as much as I just think about trying to help people and impact uh, their lives in a positive way. I think if you try and do that philosophically, you'd do pretty good. Maybe we all would. Joe Prunty, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for carving out a little bit of time for us. I really enjoyed listening to you. I look forward to uh, watching you in the season ahead. All the best. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed being on. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with basketball coach Joe Prunty. I especially enjoyed his views on focusing on marginal gains by asking yourself, are you better than you were yesterday? And the stories he shared on working with MVPs Tim Duncan and Dirk Nowitzki and how these great players combine skill, self-belief, competitiveness with themselves and a mental toughness to get beyond whatever their task is. His views on dealing with self-doubt and avoiding the trap of blaming others also connected with me. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to cricket coach Sally Ann Briggs. Some of the conversations that you need to have with players can be very difficult. And well, like I said, I'm not afraid to have that conversation, but timing can be really important in that because when it's something when they've made a mistake and it's a big game, they need their own time to reflect on that. When they need to rationalise things and depersonalise everything, you've got to be able to have that conversation, I guess, on a, a one-on-one level. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with the great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 